Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yes, this is the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 17. It's the week building up to the British Grand Prix 2021 and MotoGP well, it's really given us uh, a lot of twists and turns in the tale of this season on and off track. Myself, Harry Benjamin, alongside Keith Hewin and Pete McLaren have got all the latest from the entire Vinales story so far to previewing this weekend's race at Silverstone. And it seems, gents, that... It wouldn't be a MotoGP podcast if we didn't start with Maverick Vinales once again making the headlines. A lot has changed in the week we've been off air. Of course, he was suspended by Yamaha for the uh, the second of the doubleheaders in Austria. Then on the Monday after, it was officially announced he will be joining Aprilia for 2022. And to add to that, Yamaha have then said he will not be returning to the team for the rest of this season, which, of course, has had a huge knock-on effect up and down the classes, which we'll come into. First off, Keith, your thoughts on Vinales, Aprilia? We sort of, you know, it was one of the teams that was speculated. He was running out of options, but he didn't really have many other places to go if he was going to go anywhere. No, there were no options at all for for Maverick, I've got to say. And, um, I mean... (laughs) Sod's Law, we record it on a Sunday last week and it all happened on a Monday. Um, <laughs> yeah. Apologies, folks. Crash.net. We're normally, we're normally across all of this stuff, but unfortunately, I don't think anybody... Uh, the speculation was there that he was going to go to Aprilia. Um, my question was, I think, last week was, who would have him really with the state of mind he seems to be in at the moment? And the question for me with, with Maverick is, who at Aprilia has got that kind of pastoral care? Who Who is the kind of person or persons at Aprilia that can look after a, a, a character like Maverick Vinales? I would say none of them. If we've seen, you know, Abessiano, uh, you know, the the original team tech guy as well, he he's quite harsh. They are quite harsh. Second riders at Aprilia have never fared very well. Ask Bradley Smith, ask, you know, Scott Redding. You know, you can, you can go back through Cal... You can go back through a few that haven't fared very well up against Alessia Spargo. Uh, I think where the where the key for Aprilia will be here, they can build a bike, they can get a bike to do that one or two laps that Alace needs to get him somewhere nice on the grid and can get him into the top half dozen if he really, really bites a screen and scratches as hard as any man can and Alace can. Will Maverick be prepared to do that? I can't see it with his frame of mind at the moment and I can't see, without a rest period, I can't see that frame of mind being sorted out. Um my question is, is is he going to come back and do some rides for Aprilia later on in the year? And how will that go? There, there can be nothing worse from a rider and a team point of view. If you've just got your new signing, he turns up, his head's gone, and he performs badly prior to the year that you want him to perform well. 2022, when we see all the upgrades come flooding back for all the other teams that have been on tech freezes and so on and so forth, enforced tech freezes. I... I'm stunned by the whole situation. And what about Davizioso? If you wanted a banker, Davizioso was the banker all along because he was still very, very fast and very, very consistent and a very, very clever man. He seemed to me to be a, a kind of natural fit if you could get him on side at Aprilia. Yamaha, we said last week again that the, the big factory 
was on holiday, Japanese holiday at that particular point. You knew there would be lots of intercompany emails flying around between each other, between Europe and, and the Japanese. And, and sure enough, you know, what was expected? Why would you keep him? Why would you, why would you give him any more information? Why would you give him a free pass to, to take any information across to Aprilia? You know, he's on the inside of a factory Yamaha team. There's nothing that, that Yamaha want to give away to Aprilia automatically with a rider who's leaving them anyway. So the, the, the fact that he got fired out there and they agreed to, to, to disagree and, and part company, that, that for me was a, was a completely natural situation. I couldn't see it ending any other way with Yamaha. Um, are Yamaha to blame? In some respect, there's always got to be some managerial blame, if you ask me, uh, regarding a rider's state of mind. Um, is Maverick Vinales too difficult to work with? I wouldn't have said so. He does have a problem. Um, and it's one that, for me, needed a bit more time. Hopefully, Aprilia recognise that and don't get him on the bike too early and don't heap too much expectation on him too early. There's no doubt about it. Maverick Vinales... Is a MotoGP, a Grand Prix winner in the toughest time there's ever been to ride a MotoGP bike, any premier class, uh, any year. This is the hardest it's ever been to win a Grand Prix because there's so many bikes and so many blokes capable of doing it. So anybody that can do it, like Maverick Vinales, is a bit special. And I think that, that recognising that and getting him onside at Aprilia and giving him a motorbike that works, this is going to be key. We've seen it before. We can do, we can do the Joanne Zarco uh, thing, if you like. And I don't rate Zarco as highly as I do Maverick Vinales as a rider. Sorry about that, but I don't. Um, and when he went to KTM, couldn't make it work. Everyone else had to, uh, to try and work that front end out. And if the same thing happens to Maverick at Aprilia, he can't get around it. The bike doesn't suit him. There's something not quite right. It could be career ending. It's bringing up a lot of questions, isn't it? But Pete, let's bring you in on this as well now, because as Keith alluded to, you know, this Aprilia machine has yet to break the top five in race results either. It's the only manufacturer on the grid without a podium or a victory in the MotoGP era. But now that he is no longer coming back to Yamaha for the rest of the year, with Lorenzo Savadori as well uh, on the sidelines temporarily, could could a switch happen straight away, or do you think it's going to see out to the end of the season and as well to cover off what Keith said Davizioso this looks like it's the end of the road for him in terms of a comeback uh, let's do Savadori <laughs> have first. all of that at once go <laughs> Savadori I think it's uh, a few messages with Aprilia this morning sounds quite positive that he might ride this weekend so that's good news about his ankle so that would suggest that yeah there's going to be no instant changes okay. anyway um, there is a test coming up that got booked for the end of this month it's been booked for Dobby They've had it sort of planned for a while now. And that seems to be when people think that Maverick might ride the Aprilia for the first time. So as, as Keith says, you, you know, it's that you want him on the bike, but you don't want to put too much pressure. But of course, they will want to know if there is any major issue he has with the bike. It's better to know sooner rather than later. That gives them more time to sort of try and address it for next season, doesn't it? So I think that, that that's what we'll see, that, that Maverick will he'll ride a test before anything else. And then the question is, will he come in and do some races, maybe as a wild card? Aprilia haven't used any of their wild cards yet. They've got six available. Um, there's some talk, you know, there's a bit of a procedural thing where you should you should um, make the wild card entry something like two or three months before the race, and that wouldn't be possible now with you know the lack of time. But other than that, I think it, it could be done. There's also talk that if not, he could just replace Savadori, you know, that Savadori could maybe step back to his testing role and Maverick would finish the year as a replacement because he no longer has the Yamaha contract. So there's a few options available if they want to get Maverick to do a few races this year. And I, I, I think it's more likely than not that we'll see him race at some stage just so that they can get a bit of, of information on, on how he feels about the bike in a race weekend. It's a bit like what we saw with Pedroza. Testing is one thing, but until you actually go into that race environment, you're not going to know for sure. So, and, and one of the complaints that the Aprilia riders have had is that they've been a little bit late in, in debuting the new bike each year, and then they've never really caught up. So I think they will want to get some early early progress in on that. And then let's see. Dovi, I mean, Dovi, I, it's all gone quiet with Dovi, but actually I think he seems like he's still in play with Yamaha. Now, <laughs> Dovi isn't one that, that does speculation. So the fact it's gone quiet with some riders, that would be a really bad thing. It would mean nothing's happening. But, but 
Dobby doesn't speculate. You know, he's just not, that's not in his character. So you don't hear about things until they're done. And his name, you know, we've spoken months ago that he was being linked with Yamaha. We, we heard, you know, and I was told his priority is to race next year. Now, there's still some Yamaha seats available for next year. And, you know, Patronus, or well, it's not going to be Patronus, Sepang, presumably it's not going to be called Sepang, whatever the team will be called. And we should know this weekend. I think this weekend is when the team are going to announce their future plans. You know, presumably they'll they'll announce some of their riders as well for next year. So, yeah, it sounds like Dobby's certainly in play there. Um, you know, you know it, it will depend on a lot of factors as always. It depends on what a new title sponsor wants, who, who they found. I mean, we know the team wants the young rider. We, we've heard Darren Binder is, is hotly linked with one of the mm. seats. Now, could it be that maybe they're, they're now erring towards the other side with an experienced rider for that second seat? The other question with Dobby is, of course, we've got Cal coming in this weekend to replace Benales. But what's happening after this weekend? We don't really know. The situation in the team's championship is quite quite close in that Yamaha have a 37-point advantage. But if they only have Quattararo, that's going to get chipped away to Ducati pretty quickly. So they need a second rider that can come in and score points. Now, Cal can, can you know, score points and chip away. But as, as he said, do I want to race? Do I want to do 12 races or, or, sorry, 10 races if you count the two he's already done? He's also supposed to be developing the 2022 bike for Yamaha. So if Yamaha want him to go to Japan and do some testing, how will he do that if he's got a full race schedule? There's all the, of these factors. Could, could Dovi then be an option there? You know, you're even hearing about could Morbidelli move early? But then you have, if Morbidelli went to the factory team, that would be the team's title. You'd have to think safe. But I think there's things in the rules that stop riders switching teams in that way and replacing riders because you've got the engine allocation. So Frankie's on the 2019 bike. Now, the factory team have the 2021 bike. You can't just, you know, jump across mid-season. So all of these things can be done if you have agreement from all of the other manufacturers and everything else in the Grand Prix Commission. It's like everything. So it comes down to, you know, what, what are your friends like? You know, have you, you know, what do the other manufacturers think of you at the moment, if you like? Have you, you know, have you been getting on with them well or, or whatever? But yeah, there's a lot. We used to say, didn't we, that, that MotoGP, everything happened on the track. And then, you know, in between the racing, it all went quiet. And F1 was the opposite. Nothing used to happen on the track. And then it was all of the backroom deals and everything. It seems like, you know, this year, MotoGP, it's, it's as, much, as much action off the track as it is on it. The one thing you can be fairly sure of, Yamaha are not in kind of the position politically among the teams that some of the other teams are amongst you. If you remember, you know, the big row about the Ducati aero was it an error? Was it a tire calling tool? The scoop on the back wheel. Everybody got into Ducati over that particular obvious aero piece, except Yamaha. Yamaha didn't get involved in that. So Yamaha, you know, don't have quite as many enemies on the old uh, manufacturers' association, perhaps as as some of the others. I mean, Aprilia, if you remember, were very, very vociferous about it. The new, the new Formula One guy that came in. Ha, See, that's exactly backs up what Pete said a minute ago. As soon as you get a Formula One bloke involved, <laughs> it all kicks off when it comes to the rule book. And the wonderful thing about the, the rule book in MotoGP is it's thin. It's not a very detailed book. It has room for interpretation. Now, that's a good thing in some respects and a damn awful one in others um, because you can never be – I mean, it's, it's manna from heaven for the likes of Gigi Delinea that works his way around every single page that there is in the book to, to make something extra for Ducati. And, of course, that's up the game of so many other people as well. I mean, plagiarism is the best form of flattery, I'm told. I don't know whether engineers feel the same way about that. But, if you, you know, Yamaha actually had that scoop before anybody else. It was a, a rain deflector to deflect the rain that was coming down the bodywork away from the rear wheel, from going under the rear wheel. But they hadn't actually considered it as aero. Aero was a, was a, was a later development. Now, that's what I... I love about prototype series like MotoGP. I mean, you keep coming up with these innovations. And uh, like I say, with a thin rule book, it gives us an option to still look at all this sort of stuff. But Pete's dead right. They've got to agree it amongst all the manufacturers before it is allowed. Um, mm. Dorna are brilliant in that they will change rules and they will twist the arm of every manufacturer for something they want. Look at the old ECU inertial platform twist that Honda had to give up a clear advantage that they had electronically over everyone else. The, the electronics that they had on, on, 
on Marquez's bike was so sophisticated. That's what really helped that motorcycle work well. And when it went to the spec ECU and the spec inertial platform, it was never the same motorbike since. It was only because Marquez was so damn good on it and could ride a, a you know garden gate um, well that he, it ended up where it did. But don't know. There's a lot to be. I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward for the first time. I hate rule. I, I don't normally look at the rule book or anything along those lines because as an ex rider, you just I don't want to. I haven't got room in my head for all this stuff. I want to leave it to other people. But I'm actually looking forward to 2022 to see what comes up. To see what you know. Now this this freeze allegedly will be over. I mean, maybe they'll extend it. I don't know. They might even extend it into next year. I mean, you've got to say that it's not just Dorner who must be feeling the pinch financially. I mean, you imagine what their their balance sheet looks like at the moment. It must be horrendous. They've pumped so much extra money in it to keep this series going. Same for the teams. You know, the extra administrative uh, manpower that they need to make things work. I mean, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine the other day. She looks after, obviously, um, moving people around the world um, to cover uh, MotoGP absolutely incredible amounts of extra work in not not extra extra work but enormous amounts of it to actually make it work with flights being cancelled last minute as airlines decide that it's not profitable so they drop off the edge and suddenly you can't get a flight um i mean she's even booking stuff late on nowadays whereas it used to be booked a year in advance for, for most flights to places but if you do that you're just basically wasting your time it's it's, it's not going to happen um, I don't know about you, Pete, but I've I've had flights booked into Southeast Asia um, for nearly a year for this October, November. I've just let them go because every every morning I wake up and a flight is cancelled and a connecting flight is still there, but the flight that joins with it isn't there anymore. And then you try and hook up with another airline and another. And in the end, you think to yourself, do I really need to go overseas? Do I? You know, I might just spend another winter and have Christmas at home again here in the UK. Um, and work that out, compound that through the paddock. What an, a logistical nightmare for everybody concerned. I mean, you've got the Brexit factor that, that you know, some journos, particularly photographers and Matt Oxley, of course, is kicking off about left, right and centre as he does because he's a little bit on the left-hand side of things and, and, and hates the very thought of Brexit and so on and so forth. So every time there's something negative to print about it, Matt's across it. Bloody good journalist on motorbikes, by the way, but... He obviously leans a bit that way. So uh, so Brexit is like this this particular deal that he absolutely hates. So if you want to find anything negative about Brexit, go and have a look <laughs> on Matt's timeline. Um, but quite rightly, he's pointed out some real hardships for people to cover the British Grand Prix, not just when you get here, which is a nightmare anyway, from Wednesday onwards when Silverstone is locked down into a red zone and nobody can move into or around anything to do with the the core issues, the core core side of MotoGP, Moto3 and Moto2. Um, but just bringing cameras in, you've got to have proper, not quite carnets, but you've got to have the same thing. Anybody Does anybody remember carnets out there? Probably not old enough to remember that. My birthday today, by the way, so I remember it really well. Happy birthday, I'm, Keith. 21 again. I'm worth twice as much now because relics are quite, quite hard to come across. <laughs> This will be the last podcast now because you've bankrupted us. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I got a birthday card chipped in stone, which uh, <laughs> kind of suits me. But you know, it, I remember Carnes. I remember when Europe was all individual states, and you every time you travelled to a border to go from here to France, border, different currency. We weren't on euros then either. We were on a different currency, so we were doing the old French franc. Then you would go from there across into Germany, another border. Deutschmark, then you go another border into Austria, Schilling, not one of ours, one of theirs, and and a border again. And if you went into Italy, oh mate, honestly, take plenty of stickers and plenty of caps because it's the only way that you get through borders was with stickers and caps. If you were going into Spain, which is ironic, really, when you consider that it's the Spanish that run the entire sport nowadays out of Dorna in uh, Catalan and Catalonia. Um, if you went into Spain, you, you could never go through the Barcelona border or something like that if you're coming in from France. What you had to do was go up into the mountains, go through Andorra or somewhere, and sneak through the one-man post with the little swingy gate thing and sneak your van through that way, really, to, to get into the country. Because if you went and used your carnet, a carnet, by the way, for anybody, again, I'm sorry if I'm boring you with this, if you know what I'm talking about, but a carnet was basically a, 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 a folder full of sheets of paper like this, like in triplicate for each one. And every nut, bolt, washer, 
O-ring, anything, tiniest things, your tools, everything had to be in this carnet, individually marked up in how many numbers there were in it. And when you went into a country, if they were being awkward, they would check every drawer. You imagine how much shit you got on board a van going into it. Anyway, they would check every, if they were really being awkward with you. Worst place to be was in pole position at the border because you were the one that they were going to pick on. <laughs> so what you used to do is you used to hang back and let Parrish go first to somebody <laughs> and let them get all the crap when he got there. But then comes the other thing. You use up consumables during the course of the weekend and you had to mark that off as a used part but it still had to be part of the carne. So when you come out of the border, if they decided to, to drag all your bits and pieces out all over the tarmac, they would then look at the secondhand part that came out of, of the bike. You couldn't throw it in a bin. You had to then mark it off. You imagine what that was like. Luckily, the system was so bloody inefficient and, and then everybody at every border was so bribable <laughs> that it, it never caused a problem. But because Europe pretty much hates us now um it's always going to be a problem in and out of britain for the next for the foreseeable future because every time they are going to make you tick a box uh, and it's going to be for those that thought this was going to be an easy transition a you're an idiot b even whichever way you voted whether you voted to, to stay or to go if anybody thought um leaving the european union was going to be an easy transition i don't know what planet you come from but it was never going to happen easily now, there are some that believe that in five or 10 years' time, we will benefit from that. But, of course, there are lots, probably the majority, who thought come January the 31st or whatever it was, oh, we're out of Europe, we're going to have a wonderful time and everybody's going to – no, we're not. We're going to have a shit time for about five years and then it'll all get better. Have I depressed everybody? Well, I mean, a thoroughly enjoyable history lesson, I think, if nothing else. Yeah, but <laughs> if I try and – All you've got to remember, Harry, is take a hat. <laughs> give, you, give you a hat that's my, my shilling, only shillings for austria school. yeah <laughs> a bit of old school um advice take a hat and a load of stickers stickers are out of fashion nowadays well yeah well and um, well yeah i mean uh, i think they're coming they back in fashion or okay fair yeah it might be yeah, of course of yeah. course you, you don't go back far enough harry no i don't i sadly don't but that's why you're here how old are uh, you anyway <laughs> how old am i how old do you yeah. think i am 14. 14? Oh, come on. Come on. I am I am 24. Are you? Um, there you go. I was nearly right. Yeah, you're 10 years out. But, you know, the bit, if I didn't have a beard, I would look 14 years old. Uh, I'll tell you so, what, if you were 10 years out with me, it wouldn't make any bleeding difference, <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> right, come on. Let's, let's, let me steer this back on track. Where were we? Um, Vinales. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> try and call that back. Um, at, well, let's just let's see this off. Vinales has signed uh, an annual contract with an option for renewal. He will go up alongside uh, his former Suzuki teammate, Alessio Spargo. So should we just sort of finish this up with uh, with that? Vinales rejoining Alessio. Keith, that's going to be a good thing. They've got good history together. I think it's going to be okay. I, th I think that what you've got to remember is one is going to still want to beat the other one you know, into the corner. It's, 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 you know, it's perfectly natural. They're racing people. Now, Alicia Spargo is a hard man. You know, he's a, he's a sensitive man. He's a passionate man. You know, he's, he's got great morals. I, I enjoy listening to Alicia. I enjoy watching him get revved up over things. I mean, he is, he's a proper guy. You know, if he's, if he's got it on his mind, you're going to know about it. Um, but if he's your teammate, he's, he's not an easy man to beat Alicia. And I think that having someone, quality alongside him in Aprilia you know that's why I, I, I miss the the Andrea business you know Yanone it's such a shame that 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 went the way it went I mean the, the idiots ruined his career and, and and mucked up Aprilia's trajectory and us as fans the the, the privilege of watching him develop the bike because Yanone despite the fact he's actually quite mad you know was a brilliant motorbike racer and among the top half dozen motorbike racers you know, he, he was well capable of beating anybody out on the racetrack. But unfortunately, he was only very good at beating himself one way or another. Um, so Maverick, Maverick's capable of seeing off Aleish, but Aleish mentally is probably more likely to see off Maverick. Mm. We'll see. 
you know, in some way, Keith, I don't know if you agree with me, but it, it almost reminds me of Marco Melandri a little bit. Another rider who was a champion in the smaller classes, super talented race winner in MotoGP, but just some teams it would work with him and other times it wouldn't. And, you know, I remember he had podiums, I think he was with Tektua Yamaha at the start of one season. And then the results just went off a cliff and, and the rest of the year it just went. But then he'd, he'd change to another team. It would click together and bang, he'd be up there, you know, and then... He joined Kawasaki. Kawasaki withdrew. You know, he was left on that year-old bike, the Hayate thing with no logos, nothing to do with Kawasaki, and he put it on the podium. You know, and 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 it, and, and I think in Superbike, he went when he went to Superbike, it was kind of the same. Stunningly great, you know, everything looking good, but it could just suddenly it would just all change, and it was never quite clear why. It never is quite clear, and that's the trouble, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, everything that's going north of the north of the eyebrows is what makes a difference at the end of the day. Um, just depends on your personality to, to a great extent. I mean, there are those that choke and those that don't. I mean, we're getting to the British Grand Prix at the weekend. Home Grand Prix, we can talk about that perhaps, I suppose, as well. You know, what happens in a home Grand Prix? Some people raise their game, you know, beyond what you would have imagined and others fail miserably at their home Grand Prix. You know, you get over it after a couple of years and, and suddenly a home Grand Prix is like every other Grand Prix. But your, your first one or two, you know, they're spectacularly important to a rider. Um I don't know. I think that the the Aprilia thing, it's going to be about management. I hope Aprilia have learnt from what's happened at Yamaha, in a managerial sense of the of the team. I think that that you know, I'm not saying that Lynn Jarvis or the rest of them didn't give Maverick a, a, a fair um, swipe at this. I think they probably did. I mean, uh, Yamaha is a good team. They've been around a long time. They've worked with the likes of Lorenzo, so it ain't like they haven't had any practice with somebody who's a little bit difficult. You know, it's a it's a it's a, a situation, but. I think it, it runs deeper than that. I think they need another dimension of understanding when it comes to Maverick Vinales. And that's the, that's the slightly worrying side of it from all of us. I mean, we look at, you look in and you, you don't cringe because of his position. You cringe because you wonder what's going on in his head. You know, when he, when he stood up and made those apologies the other day, you know, they were sincere, but devastating to watch. You know, I thought, thought it's just terrible. You made this unbelievable mistake which was bound to lead to where you are you know there was there was no other option that he left Yamaha with you can't, you can't attempt to blow the bloody bike up and then expect the Japanese to just roll over and let you do it or or bring the bring the whole team into disrepute it just was never going to be something he was going to get away with I mean I can't remember who said it now but it, it wasn't me I pinched it off somebody I, you know if you fart on those bikes it's on the telemetry they know exactly what's going on it wasn't like he was there was any doubt about it was no excuse he was going to be able to make because um, everything is recorded. Everything. There isn't a thing that you they don't know. Um, but my problem was was where what what was he trying to achieve? You know what what was it? I know it's frustration. You know, and you might you might rev the thing on the rev limiter once, maybe twice on the way around in frustration. But your frustration doesn't last for a couple of laps. You know, you know he clearly was trying to make the thing go bang. That's that's a serious old thing. And I wonder where we go with Aprilia. It really makes you question, doesn't it, what is going on in that brain of Maverick Vinales. Well, the outcome of all of that is he has signed with Aprilia. Whether he will make uh, an on-track uh, debut with him this year remains to be seen. But of course, what it has done, it's had a knock-on effect uh, with uh, a couple of other riders as well. And from having, well, no British riders to having two now at the British Grand Prix, Cal Crutchlow already uh, coming in as a replacement makes his move up, as we uh, said, to the factory Yamaha. Jake Dixon will step up from Moto2 to replace C uh, Crutchlow at uh, Patronus SRT. Um, let's talk about Jake Dixon because we, we've already done sort of Crutchlow in, in his first sort of outings already. Um, Jake already kind of been linked with the Yamaha outfit regarding a 2022 seat. Uh, this is going to be an audition for him, isn't it? But like you say, it's a home Grand Prix. It's uh, swim or sink. He's had this audition before, though, in Moto2. He came in and rode in Moto2, and he rode very, very well and impressed everybody. Mm. And there's a rider that won't choke at the British Grand Prix. Jake reminds me of Barry Sheen. Now, most people will know that geezer. Um, he's got that personality, that Jack the Lad, that kind of on the surface of it, not too serious. But I knew Barry pretty well, was his teammate for a while, and... Everything under the surface was bloody serious. There wasn't anything he said, did, or rode that he wasn't thinking about in depth. And I think that I have the feeling that Jake is 
coming to that point. He's he's kind of now got that little bit more age on board. Um, he's he's got you know when he rode superbikes, he was a he was a good superbike rider. He had a bit of a blip in the early days in Moto Two, but fortunately that came good, courtesy of um, the uh, can't remember his name now. Who was the guy that came in and helped him with one arm? Can't remember now. But anyway, he came in and basically uh, because Jake had a bang on the head at Kota. Um, he ended up with a teammate who took over the ride and, and because that teammate couldn't make it work either, um, it meant that they suddenly started to believe in Jake and then Jake came good again. I think that some riders work better on bigger and more powerful motorbikes and I've got a feeling that Jake's one of them. I think he's going to take very, very well to a MotoGP bike. He's a big bike racer and I've got a feeling that he's going to take this bike like a duck to water and I can see him with half a result at Silverstone it's a big ask. It's a massive ask. Go, you know, go back to what we said right at the beginning of this. MotoGP is the most competitive, the most competitive motorbikes, the most competitive riders there's ever been, ever in the Premiership class, in depth. If he finished last, he wouldn't be embarrassing himself, and he'd still be on the same lap. Go back a few years, and you know, some quite big names were lapped twice in the British Grand Prix. You know, it's a situation where that doesn't happen anymore because of, 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 of the depth of field, both in talent and in machinery. So I think Jake's going to get on well. It's Cal I'm slightly more concerned about. I mean, I didn't expect Cal to be anywhere near like he was prior. I think Cal was a rider who really, really had reached a peak. He was riding brilliantly, really good MotoGP rider. But to step back in, he knew what he'd got to do. He, you know, he hadn't had that much time on a bike. His second ride in, in Austria, you know, didn't probably go quite as well as I thought it might. Um, Silverstone, though, he's going to pull the stops out. He's going to want to ride. He's going to want to race properly. But even so, having said that, a top 10 is a big ask. You know, to be in the top 10, Danny Pedrosa, you know, he looked sharp in Austria on the KTM, you know, when we saw him there. Um, Pedrosa probably got to where we thought he might as, a, as, a, as, a, as an entry. Will Cal in the top 10? We'll see. Hopefully, you know, there's, a, there's quite a few trolls on the internet that are already saying, well, he'll crash. Mm. And I think even I mentioned that he's going to crash because Cal will crash because he will be trying that hard. If he's not crashing at least once or twice during these three outfit, these three events that we, we're going to see him at, then, I, then basically he's a test rider. He's no longer the racer he was because Cal would normally push his luck to the very, very edge of uh, staying on the bike. And that's what it takes to be in the top 10. So we'll see if he's um, if he's up for it this weekend. Well, great to have uh, both of them on the grid, isn't it, Pete, for uh, for this weekend? And it's an important time as well for Jake, with of course all the news about the Sepang Patronus team closing its outfits, of course, in in Moto Two and Moto Three. So uh, it's come at the perfect time for Jake to showcase himself properly on 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 the Premier Class. As you say, Harry, you know it, it is an audition. It doesn't matter what anyone says. Anytime a young rider gets on a MotoGP bike, it's an audition. You know, it might not be an audition for, let's say, the Patronas team even, but all of the other teams will be looking. You know, they, they will always be looking at a young guy that comes in to see if he's got the potential. So absolutely, people up and down the pit lane will be looking at what Jake does this weekend, looking to see if he's got that consistent improvement, knowing the limitations of the bike. You know, it's got the, it's, it's, it's a 2019 bike, basically. It's got the top speed disadvantage. Cal was saying he thinks that, that that bike will go better around Silverstone. It's a bit more flowing than, than the Austrian circuit. Um, you know, as Keith says, the competition is incredibly hard. You know, for me, if, if Jake can just make a race of it, meaning if he can mix it with the, the, the regular guys, that, that is a, a massive achievement in itself by the end of, of one weekend. And it does sound like this will be just, just the British Grand Prix for Jake. And maybe his teammate, Xavi Vierge, will be on the bike in Aragon, is the rumour. Now, but at the same time, as we say, as far as their futures, it seems like it's Darren Binder, maybe even Dovi or someone else who, who are the ones linked with the race seat in MotoGP. So where does that leave, you know, also the Moto3 riders at Patronus, you know, with the Moto2 and Moto3 teams sort of departing? There's a lot of people looking for seats next year. And, uh, yeah, there's no better way for Jake to put that advertisement firmly in the front of people's minds than to, than to do a good job on a MotoGP bike in the British Grand Prix. Well, actually, just well, on SRT that. have found a new sponsor, haven't they? They've managed to to get themselves a new sponsor, but it doesn't spread down to the Moto3 and Moto2 team. Interesting that Adam Norridin is back in again this weekend in Jake's place on the Moto2 bike. So 
I've just seen the uh, list that came from Erta earlier. So he um, he's back out at Silverstone. It's a, you know, remember Norridin? We've almost forgotten him already, haven't we? A couple of years ago, he was he was the hot shoe coming up through Malaysia and um, dropped off the edge of the proverbial talent cliff. Can happen so easy. I mean, Raslan and, you know, I know he, the guys at the Spang circuit, they put a lot of time and effort with into Adam Noridin, didn't they? He was the, the great hope of, we were talking previously about the need of a, for a Malaysian rider in the team. And they, I think they really wanted Adam to be that guy, but he kind of struggled. So they, he stepped back from Grand Prix. I think he was doing Motor 2 CV. And there was always the hope that he could grow in that championship and then come across into the Motor 2 team. Well, we now know that, unfortunately, the Motor 2 team is not going to exist after this year. So... In a way, it's a it's a it's a good last chance for him to to get on that bike and riding Grand Prix, and, and again also for him, you know, as an advertisement for next year, is um you know have another Malaysian rider on the grid potentially if he can show that yeah he's got the pace and the potential. Malcolm. What disappointed me, and sorry, Ari, you're not no, going to no. get a word in. No, go on. No, you're not going to get a word in. Sorry. <laughs> what disappointed me, Peter and Harry, is that they didn't upgrade John McPhee. John McPhee's got nothing to lose in Motor Three at all. You know, he's nowhere in that championship this year. So the championship's gone. He's not going to ride with them next year. Um, you could have easily slotted John McPhee in on the Moto2 bike at the Moto, the British Grand Prix. And, well, I mean, you just guaranteed the last ticket being sold, if that was the case. That was going to be my question, Keith. Malcolm <laughs> Sharp asked, what's going to happen with John McPhee? Well, um, McPhee will be working hard behind the scenes. But again, John McPhee has had a fairly long tenure in Grand Prix racing. Difficult to see where he goes next. I mean, he's a survivor. There's no doubt about that. He survived being elbowed out. I mentioned the, you know, dropping off the edge of the talent cliff. He's been, very, he's been teetering on the edge of that cliff for, for a few years, one way or another. But he's still a Grand Prix winner. He's still fast. He's still got the talent to win races in Grand Prix. And you can't say that about, you know, 80% of the, of the people around him. So, you know, McPhee is, is, is somebody that you would take a risk on, but every year that goes by, there's this bloody great bottleneck of, of really talented riders, you know, back through CEV. Pete mentioned it earlier on. CEV, the Junior World Championships, uh, it's like a secondary Grand Prix list. You know, these are the guys that are really going to be filling the, the slots. Do you go with a 28-year-old Scotsman who's won a couple of Grand Prix that's fast occasionally, as in, I'd say that's not true, he's fast all the time, but who seems to have hugely bad luck? You know, like quite a lot of the incidents that happen around John McPhee are just bad luck. Um, I don't know how many bloody cats he's run over on the way to a circuit at some stage, but there's something somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure my wife, who's a Buddhist, would, would, would be able to tell me all about karma and the like and, um, and give me another one of those lessons that I get quite regularly. Um, <laughs> maybe I should pass it on to, to McPhee. But, Let's but there is maybe, I don't know what he did in a previous life, but whatever it was, it obviously wasn't very good because his luck has not been really with him when he could have done with it. And quite often it is only luck. That, that's, that is a great point, Keith. I'm sure McPhee would have loved the chance, as you say, with his future kind of uncertain to just if you can show what you can do on a Motor 2 bike, that could open a lot of doors because it just takes that risk out, doesn't it? Oh, okay, we can see you can adapt to the bike. We can see the potential. I guess looking at it from the other side, it might be that the team said, look, John, you've got a chance to win your home British Grand Prix here. You know, and, and maybe that's it. But again, we were talking about Aragon. If Vieje is going up and riding, that's another seat spare at Aragon, you know. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it positively, you'd say that the Motor 3 team with Binder and McPhee have a chance of winning races. But yeah, I think with, with Binder's future is looking a lot more secure than John's. And John has tried to go to Motor 2 for several years, hasn't he, Keith? I know you, you've spoken about this in the past. So, yeah, getting the chance. Well, Patron that... Patronus didn't help him, did they? They reneged on the deal. He had the deal done at Patronus. He was supposed to go up to Moto 2, but then Jake took the place. Jake Dixon took the place, and John was um, kept in Moto 3, and he was spitting tax over that initially. I mean, like, he, he, he calmed himself down because John knows which way his, bread, bed's, br <laughs> his bread's buttered. His bed might be buttered as well, but that's another thing altogether. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it certainly is a crucial time for all of those riders, not least uh, John McPhee, because you think, well, it's got to be a move to Moto2. You can't, can't really stay another year in Moto3, but uh, we will uh, 
keep abreast of that as and when it all unfolds. Malaysia, as we've discussed heavily uh, in the news, uh, frequently for various different reasons. Another sad reason, though, because uh, it's been officially cancelled, the race uh, at Sepang uh, this year. All but one of the flyaway races now have been cancelled for 2021, with uh, the Japanese, Australian and Thailand races all falling off the calendar, as well as the Finnish Grand Prix as well. Uh, now, due to a rise in COVID cases, Dorna has confirmed that Malaysia is cancelled for a second year in a row. But, Keith, it's been replaced by a second event uh, at Misano, which is good news for Italian fans, isn't it, who get an extra dose of Rossi before he retires? Yeah, I mean, it's a shame. Misano is a, it's quite a small venue. It's quite a tight place to get the amount of people that will want tickets. But, the, you know, give an Italian a shovel and they'll find a way underneath a fence. Um, that is an absolute fact, particularly for the Rossi's last on Italian soil. I mean, it will be just mad. And if I was going to go to a Grand Prix, that would be the one I would want to go to. I mean, there'll be the, the, the yellow hordes that come over the hills from Tavulia. Um, during the course of qualifying and then race day, it's it's a sight to behold. It is, you know, Magello. Magello is my is as you I've quite often said Magello and boringly so. Magello is my favourite Grand Prix of all Grand Prix. I mean, Magello is a fantastic place. The Tuscan Hills. You're not going to find a better place, a better racetrack. Mizano is not as good a racetrack, but the atmosphere at Mizano is incredible. And because it's so tight and there's no room, and you've got you know, it's, it's funny, we were watching, I'm sure everyone else was watching the World Superbikes at Navarra at the weekend, as well as the British Superbikes up at Cadwell Park. What a couple of venues we had there. Navarra, that massively fast turn one. Well, you, you've got Cavone turn 11 at Mizano, which is round. It goes the other way around to when I was racing it. So you don't ever ask me to do a track thing on um, on Mizano because it went, uh, went the other way around. In the old days, you'd come out of a tighter hairpin and you'd be accelerating up through three corners and the Cavone, which is now turn 11, uh, you'd be going flat through there. But there was a, a, a wall that was within a couple of metres that was 10 foot high beside your right-hand side. So if you crashed there, you died. Um, so what they did was they turned it all on its head and went the opposite way around. So now you're going through that massively fast corner. On a Moto2 bike, it's flat. You roll it onto the side of the tyre, so it's a rev limiter, and that, that calms it down a little bit. Moto3 is flat through there. MotoGP, there's nothing flat about it, but it's bloody fast uh, and you run right out to the curb and it is a spectacular corner and then the next three you're, you're coming down through the gears but but it's a, just a spectacular place to go and watch and to see the Aldo Drudy you know paintwork on the on the curbs you know the guy who paints Rossi's helmets also does all the paintwork around the track so all those you know when you get the overhead shot from the from the helicopter and stuff and you just think oh wow. you know you pay for a print of the track not just uh, Rossi's helmet. So it's just got that massively wonderful Italian atmosphere. There is no place like Italy. Um, you know, there really isn't. From an atmosphere, from a food and from a racing point of view, you'd be hard pressed to find another country that could compete with Italy. Mm. Interesting though, Pete, there it's replacing directly uh, the Malaysian round. They're not going to do uh, a back-to-back -back for this one. No, it's just a straight swap at the moment. But as you say, we don't really know for sure about Cote yet, the other, the other flyaway. Yeah. So, you know, there could still be more changes to come. Um, the, the, the issue with Malaysia was basically the government weren't willing to shift on the quarantine issue. I think it was basically down to that. Um, and, and that just made the race impossible. So that's why that couldn't go ahead. Um, but yeah, we, we assume that, you know, any races that are lost, as we've seen, will be replaced by another European race. So the numbers should be about the same. But yeah, we're not sure yet. I mean, Kota was looking really safe, should we say? It would be the second non-European race, we say, after Qatar. This, the, Qatar is the only non-European round we've had since March 2020 for MotoGP class. It's it's not a lot. It's been a, you know a European Championship really, and I think Dorna would love to have another overseas race, as we call them. But is it going to be possible? Who knows? It looks like you know we're down to one. I mean, Argentina technically has not been cancelled, of course. That's postponed, but. You know, I think there's a question mark clearly over both Cota and Argentina at the moment. I would say there's a question mark over Cota. It's going to be politics and money that forces this through because they've got no ICU beds there. You know, the, the, the big thing locally is the fact that, you know, hospitals are full. It's a rising game in the pandemic at the moment there. You know, uh, there are certain rules that, that are also in our rather thin rule book um, regarding hospitals. 
you know, distances to hospitals, time frames yeah, to hospitals, yeah. amount of beds that are available in hospitals. It's not just a case of, yeah, we're going to turn up and hope for the best. There are protocols in place to make sure that any rider that's hurt or any team member that's hurt, you know, has adequate medical cover. Um, if you've got no ICU beds, then you can't invent. Well, you can. You can. You can. You can have a field hospital, I suppose. But then you run out of personnel to look after those people. You know, you can't spread specialists, specialist doctors, specialist equipment in a field hospital. It's just. It's not kind of done. So, yeah, there was a time in Japan, wasn't there? I, I, I'm just trying to mm. think who it was now that, that had a big off. And that there's a there's a limit. You have to be able to have a helicopter that can fly because the distance into Mito or wherever it was from the circuit was too far by road. And anybody that's driven to, from uh, the local towns into uh, the track will remember what Mategi's like. It's all it's great. You know, I love it. All on the sides of curves and whizzing in front of locals doing 30 mile an hour everywhere. Um, great fun, but not real good when you're rolling around in the back of an ambulance with, um, with, with you know, concussion or something so it had to be you know the, the helicopter could only fly uh, if, if the helicopter could fly racing or practice or anything could continue but then one day we had quite a lot of um cloud over and a lot of mist that meant the helicopter could, couldn't fly but suddenly the parameters were changed suddenly it was okay they could they could get to the hospital within the 50 minutes that is designated well let me tell you if you've got an head injury 50 minutes is too long you know, you want to be in the helicopter, dropped into the hospital, x-rays, scans and all the rest of it, sorted out. So it's it's funny how these rules can sometimes just get bent a little bit in favour of running the event. Um, in my view, uh, my respect fell away a little bit that weekend in Japan because you are a long way away from a, from a proper hospital. The stuff on site is quite good. But if you are in trauma, you know, you want to be sure that you can be flown within – 10 minutes to a hospital by helicopter job done um, but because the cloud wasn't lifting wasn't going suddenly there was just during the course of the meeting there was a, a piece of paper that came around i remember i took a print of it um that said that we've um rejigged the route and we understand that we can get to the hospital within the 50 minutes and i remember being outraged at the time but of course broadcasting being broadcasting you know your outrage sometimes is better kept quiet if you want to keep your job um, and I remember thinking at the time that oh, that hurts not being able to say something about that at the time. We brought it up. We mentioned, obviously, that you know the the, the powers that be had had actually checked the route, made sure that you could get to the hospital within the fifty minutes. But it was only because the helicopter couldn't fly that the parameters were changed slightly. Call me cynical. I am. Well, <laughs> 17 episodes in, I think we've got that down to a T now. <laughs> well, let's move on and talk about another track now, because it is the British Grand Prix weekend yeah. coming up. We're all very excited of it because, I mean, we're not biased, but we are, we are all British. And I know we have an international audience, but everybody loves Silverstone. I think it's fair to say it's one of those tracks that just gets everybody's blood pumping a little bit faster. Keith, just take us round Silverstone to begin with, uh, you know, your thoughts on it, what you're looking forward to this weekend, especially, of course, you've been there year in, year out. Actually, we haven't been there for the last couple of years, obviously. So it's a return and I think a long awaited return as well. It's long and fast. I think that's uh, one and wide, which from a motorcycle perspective, you know, you can let the thing drift. Actually, I have been around the track recently. Okay. I took a good friend of mine in the back of a transit van in his coffin to do a couple of laps. Oh, yes. Mick oh, Hemmings fabulous. of Mick Hemmings Motorcycles, Norton fame, rest in, rest in peace, Mick, a very, very good friend of mine that, that when I was very young, he had a shop in Northampton and I used to go training with him. He was a bit older than me, obviously. I, I know it's hard to believe right now, but um, Mick was a gr really good lad, really, really good lad. And one of the things he wanted to do with a friend of his, Tim Abbott, uh, another shooting friend of his, was to, to do a last lap. So it was Mick's last lap, and we did Silverstone full circuit. Silverstone were wonderful, you know, wow. really, really helped out. I mean, staff say behind after five o'clock in the evening uh, on a normal working day to to assist us with the with Mick's last wish. His wife was there with the checkered flag, Angie, uh, and it was it was just a brilliant hour that we had around the track. And 
fair play to Silverstone. Sometimes it's a BRDC track. I, I, you know, we, we, we call it, you know, say it's a bit dispassionate regarding bike people and the like. It's a Formula One track. They're all full of Formula One four-wheel people, da, 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 da. But Silverstone do do. They do understand racing. They do understand racing people. And to make time out of your long day to assist with someone they didn't really know that well and uh, see him off in such a manner was was fantastic. But Silverstone, getting back to the real real answer to the question, it's a great racetrack. Right, racing people love fast corners. You know, they love fast corners. It's, you know, tight, twisty stuff. I know we've got the, the bloody loop or whatever it's called. It's <laughs> is a tight tight left-hander. But, you know, the majority of corners at Silverstone, you know, they, your bum's closed and your teeth are gritted. Uh, and that's how you go fast. It's smoothing it through them really, really quick corners. Out of, out of Chapel onto the hangar straight, fantastic corner. Down to Stowe, fantastic corner. We're missing the old Abbey that was nearly flat out, even on a 500 back in my day. I obviously have fantastic memories of, of Silverstone. And I think the, the contrast between the old days and the new days, really, again, Silverstone sort of epitomizes that. In a, in a, you know, back in the day, we use the same pits that you're using now. We don't use that bloody silly Formula One wing that you can't get any parking behind because there's not enough room to park all the trucks. You know, that was that was Bernie bashing Silverstone over the head saying we've got to have this better facility for Formula One. But, of course, it can't be used for anybody else because there's no parking and no room at the back of there. And it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, you've, you've got to travel by bus to get to it from one side of the circuit to the other. The press room is like a bunker. It's got no windows that look out. There's a corridor that runs along the front windows. Instead of it, you know, <laughs> it's a bunker behind. It's just awful. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so apart from that, I mean, I love being on the old International Strait. I mean, you know, it's it's where Silverson is. The, the finish line coming out of what was Woodcut. Now it's a slightly different Woodcut, but it's still flat out onto that finish line. And we saw how Rins, you know, just had that, just beat Marquez by half a wheel when Marquez got the thing just spinning a little bit. Rins hooked the Suzuki up and won the British Grand Prix on the line. I mean, how many times have we seen that? Go back 40-odd years, Barry Sheen and Kenny Roberts through there when Sheen almost got Kenny at the line. That, incidentally, was my first Grand Prix, 1979. I was riding a three-cylinder TZ350 and a half, in other words, um, 500 and Summit CC, um, homemade... Um, 500 and that really brings us i suppose full circle in that you could run what you built to the track turn up at the gate with a an acu auto cycle union permit and they may or may let may or may not let you qualify to ride in the grand prix it was a year that george fogarty got in the way of barry and uh, kenny if you remember, Will Hartog was there. Will Hartog with his bloody toes because he ground them away, and his toes were bleeding everywhere down the side of the fairing. He had the weirdest, he had the weirdest style. Will Hartog, he looked like Mick Grant. He used to sit on the bike. There was no leaning off, hanging off, um, or anything along those lines to, to sort of lower the center of gravity. He just used to lean the thing on the edge of the tire. No chicken strips on Will Will Hartog's slicks, that's for sure. Um, but it was a. Uh, it was like amateur hour in Grand Prix back then. Now it's so incredibly professional, just about as professional as you'd want it to be. I don't think – I'm sorry if I sound like I'm, I'm flogging poor old Formula 1 a bit hard here, but you wouldn't want it to be as professional as Formula 1. Sorry, Harry, I know you're a car member, <laughs> but we love you. Right. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's not as professional or as difficult as Formula 1 behind the scenes. I think it's reached that, that kind of Nirvana motorbikes at the moment because I think it needs to be difficult to be a professional sport. There should be no gaps. There should be no holes in the rules. There should be nothing that, that makes our sport look Mickey Mouse in comparison with the likes of Formula One. But I think um, to go the way that Formula One went underneath Bernie's tenure, I've got to say, I think Formula One has got better since Bernie's been gone. You know, social media, the fact that riders and drivers and the like are able to to express themselves more now on social media from the track and stuff like that. Dorna, Dorna always grasped social media very well, very early on. Um, whereas formula one was held back, I think because of Bernie in, for so many years. Um, and some of the young drivers that you've got now in formula one are brilliant. I mean, Lando Norris, George Russell, just great characters, young charging characters. Um, and I like that. I think formula one in the last year, apart from the racing, which is still 
struggling a little bit in excitement terms. Um, I think some of the stuff behind the scenes is brilliant. And you're not going to give me a slap for that, Harry. I know you Did you not see Hungry? <laughs> <laughs> okay, one in a million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you make a fair point. You make a fair point. <laughs> but Silverstone is a racetrack. It's had alterations, but most of them have actually been pretty good. I think that the way that it, the, technically it's still got the fast bits, it's got a couple of slower corners on it now. But, you know, as has been proved so many times, it can be won through that last complex. You know, it ain't over until it's actually physically check a flag over. Mm. Silverstone tends to provide some uh, good entertainment. Pete, what are you uh, looking out for this weekend? As well, of course, as we alluded to, it's been 2019 was when Alex Rins took the win. So, you know, we, we've had a couple of years out. So I think everyone's going to be desperate to get back on track. Yeah, and don't forget, 2018 was when the race was cancelled because of the the rain and the and the you know the asphalt problems. But so yeah, it's been it's been a difficult time for the British Grand Prix. So you know, let's hope first of all we get the 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 kind of crowd that was seen at the Formula One race. I think that would be a fantastic atmosphere. As Keith was saying, that you know the track, all the riders love the track. You know, it's the fast flowing. They can use all the power of these bikes. It's got a bit of everything. You've got the twisty high-speed sections, the slower sections. There's, there's no, there's no, you know, one bike that's a clear favourite. And yeah, I think it's, you know, there's a lot to look forward to this weekend on and off track. We've got the British riders coming in, the British fans getting a race again. You know, I think even the weather is looking good. So whoever booked that did a good job. <laughs> a non-wet British Grand Prix weekend. The thing about the British Grand Prix as well is it presents certain opportunities that you don't expect. There are certain tracks during the course of the season that you you kind of you don't really know who's going to do the business. You know, Le Mans is one that, that Le Mans a completely different type and style of track, of course it is, but it sort of presents you sometimes with a with a winner you weren't expecting or or a top three that you weren't expecting. And, and I always get the feeling with the British Grand Prix that, and I think this year is going to be that more than ever. I mean, you're going to be asking us in a while, Harry, what our predictions are, and that will be a bloody nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, you know, it has that, so many combinations that suit every motorbike one way or another. Um, tires are going to be an issue. I think that, that, that it'll be interesting to see how Michelin have handled the tire allocation this year. Bear, bearing in mind, we've been away for such a long time, and that makes a massive difference in, in tire allocation. Um whoever gets the, the thing to hook up well and, and, and do race distance. And when you've got free practice, which free practice is you're, you're basically practicing, you're qualifying for qualifying, you know, so you don't have as much time to spend on a race distance run, perhaps in free practice. You're, you're more concentrating on, I've got to get through to qualifying two. And if I don't, I've only got two places left in qualifying one to try and make it through to the front four rows of the grid. Now that's a big issue and even with the wide open spaces of Silverstone, you need that jump. You need that, you know, what is it, 10 metres between each row. Well, if you're on the fifth row, 50 metres further back at the start of things, and then you get caught up at cops, which is often something where you get caught up in someone else that's got you off onto the dirty stuff, you know, way off the track. You suddenly find yourself, you know, miles behind the the, the, the leader. And if you let the likes of Quattarara or someone like that get into their rhythm, you know, you're done. It's, it's going to be really, really difficult, um, you know, Ducatis may have an advantage at the top end, but there's no doubt about it. Yamahas have got an advantage everywhere else. You know, Suzuki as well. Um, what will the Aprilia do? Will the Aprilia break in the top five? I mean, it, it, are they now with all this news of Maverick joining them? Are they are they on a high? Are they on the crest of a, one of those psychological waves that you get sometimes that a team's really up there, and it just it just gives them that extra edge that you can't discern. You don't know where it came from. The extra edge, and that's again, that's what a British Grand Prix or an Italian Grand Prix or a Spanish Grand Prix to a national does to you. You you arrive and you you know it's not the same this year because there's not the same amount of work that a rider has to do. Normally you have Day of Champions on a Thursday. Day of Champions for Two Wheels for Life is a massive massive event um, for the charity of MotoGP. Um, you know and 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 does wonders for 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 motorcycling generally globally as far as image is concerned. Then you've got after the riders have, have spent their day at the Day of Champions and then the press conference on Thursday night, the, the, it's beginning to ramp up. The atmosphere is ramping up. People are there from Thursday now, remember, because of Day of Champions, you've got people making a festival out of it. The car parks are already full. The tents are already up. You've got the, the Woodlands bar that's, that's going nuts 
from sort of Friday night onwards. It's a, it's a real, you've got a festival. you usually got bands that are playing and stuff that's going on. It's a massive thing, big fairground. One thing Silverstone has got, <laughs> apart from a long, fast-flowing racetrack that's going to give us great racing, is a massive piece of land. You know, it is a huge space. It was, you know, they flew bloody Wellingtons out of there, didn't they? I mean, it was a, it was a World War II bomber base yeah. where you needed like 100 miles to get the things off the ground fully loaded. And it is still like that. It's a massive great area of land that they fill really, really well. I love, I mean, I love the atmosphere of a Grand Prix generally, but I mean, a British Grand Prix is a little bit special. And again, I'm sorry if, if you're from Italy or from, from Germany or wherever you might be, I'm sure you feel the same way about your home Grand Prix. Um, and we love your Grand Prix too. But the British Grand Prix for me is a very special event. First time I ever went there, took my breath away. It's the only podium I had in a Grand Prix. Um, and that, and I was a privateer. So to do it, when I did it, I split the two factory Kawasaki's on a homemade 350 Yamaha. We hand-built the bloody thing in the back of a van. Um, so to split the two factory Kawasaki's at the time at our home Grand Prix, the... <laughs> The, the guys who sponsored me built the hospitality units ar- around Woodcook Corner, a firm called STC Builders from Bedford. And the two men who owned it, a fellow called Dave Ledsom and Bob Reynolds. Um, Dave, and we talk about mental health uh, quite a lot nowadays. Well, Dave, unfortunately, took his own life um, a long time ago. Um, and he was a fantastic man. Just he used to play the guitar. He was a multimillionaire, had everything He'd worked so hard, had everything he could possibly want for he and his family, and yet it still got the better of him is the point I'm making by mentioning Dave Ledson. Bob Reynolds was the other partner. Bob, unfortunately, passed away a couple of months ago now as well, so I've lost both these geezers, and they were really good boys with me. But to, to, to be in their hospitality suite, they were there for the next three days. They never went home. They didn't wash. They just kept getting more booze and more food in. It was incredible. I'd never been in. I'd never been amongst people like it in my life. And and I think I think I've seen it in Italy. I think they, where they never go home and and so on. But I've never seen British people behave in such an outrageously uh, um, fantastic way. Um, Am I kind of painting a picture of how wonderful it is at the British Grand Prix? <laughs> re- I mean, I, if you ha- if people weren't sold already, you, I mean, you've got to be. And the fact it took your breath away, you know, not easy to do that to Keith Ewan to not be able to talk about anything. Uh, so <laughs> that really is the power of Silverstone. But come on then, let's put your money uh, where your mouth is. Prediction time. As Pete said as well, you know, Silverstone doesn't particularly, historically hasn't favoured a lot of particular manufacturers or drivers in the past uh, here's how the points stand at the moment and it's actually embarrassing considering you know <laughs> we're sort of nearly halfway through the season and whatever however long the season turns out to be keith is leading with two points uh, and pete and myself are equal on one so at least there's no embarrassing zero points um, <laughs> but i'm gonna go first this time and i'm changing it this time i'm gonna ask you to do your top three uh, but even if it's not in the right order and you get one of them on the podium, I will give the point. So it will start to rack up the points, if that makes sense. So even if if you put Zarko on third and he wins it, you will still get a point because he's in your top three anyway. And then you get an extra point if you've got the top three bang on. Sound good? We'll roll with it anyway. All right, so here's my top three. So I'm going to steal Quartararo off the bat. He's going to win. Then I'm going to go for Marc Marquez in second. And Not then, a bad shout, you know, young man. Yeah, thank you. I'm learning. And then Jorge Martin in third uh, is going to be my uh, final podium finisher. So, uh, yeah, Quartararo, Marquez and Martin, my top three. Um, Keith, let's go for you next, shall we? Um, Quartararo, I think that's a given um, okay. around there. I think this is going to depend a hell of a lot on the, how the tyre situation is at Silverstone and the the, the weather, of course. So I might just hedge my bets very slightly. I'm going to have a bit of Binder. Oh, okay. So I'm going to have Quattararo, Binder. Mm, now I'm struggling slightly. <laughs> yeah, much better way of doing it like this, I think. <laughs> yeah, you like this, don't you? you he, he's actually thrown that on us, folks. We didn't know that <laughs> this was what we were going to do. Although, having said that, for the last two weeks, I've done you'd the top do- three. Exactly. You'd be doing your top three, so you've got no excuse. <laughs> No, that is true, but uh, it is the British Grand Prix and it means something. <laughs> okay, so I've, I've got Quattararo, Binder. Oh, 
I'm I'm torn. I've, I've got a feeling for Nakagami. I don't know why, but oh. I, I just I can't. But I can't trust him. I can't <laughs> trust him. So I'm going to go Bangnaya. Okay. Yes. Quattararo Binder Bangnaya. Now that is a really really eclectic mix. You must admit that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be a fun podium. It means I'm going to bond terribly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So, well, well, uh, myself and Keith have both put Quartararo for the win. Pete, what's your top three? Well, I'm going to go with the guy who's 13th in the World Championship at the moment. Uh, I think that Alex Rins is going to revive his past Silverstone glory. Okay. And if we're going on the the fact that that really, as long as he's on the podium, then I'm I'm willing to put him first. You will still get the point. Yeah. So I'm going to play brave on that basis. And say, yeah, Rins are the brave. <laughs> Rins is going to, it's all going to fall into place after this nightmare season. And yeah, he, he does go well there. Um, yeah, so he's going to win. Quattararo second. Don't need, yeah. to, don't need to explain that one. You know, Quattararo is going to be up there. The Yamaha goes well there. Um, Mia. Mia okay. is going to, I, th- I think the Suzuki has got good, good top end speed. It handles pretty well. You know, it's got a bit of everything which, which Silverstone has got. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with those three. Nobody went mix. for the newly pregnant doctor then. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody went no. for the, the doctor, eh? <laughs> what an announcement. So Val- Valentino, he may be pregnant, but he's not going to win the British Grand Prix, according to us lot. No. Did you, you saw, I'm, I'm imagining we all saw the pictures, of course, naturally, the doctor. Um, I, I'm wondering if he actually owned the stethoscope already or whether he just rented that. I don't know. I'd like to find, <laughs> I'll like tell to you find what, that out. He, I, I think he can afford one now, $18 million <laughs> or whatever it is. He's just, uh, he just has just been absolutely underlined by his new team sponsor for next year. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a hell of a costume cupboard now. All right. Well, um, Keith, so Quartararo, Binder, Bagnaya, Pete, Rins, Quartararo, Mir, and then myself, Quartararo, Mark Marquez, and Martin. Oh, well, that is a, a proper mix. So uh, I think we should at least be getting a few points more on the board after all of that. And that just about takes us uh, to the end of today's show, building up to the British Grand Prix. Of course, uh, we shall return straight after it uh, to digest all of the on-track action. And, well, this is MotoGP in 2021, so there'll probably be some off-traction as well that we'll have to talk about too. Hell of a year for MotoGP to be doing their uh, their documentary all about the season as well, which I think is on uh, Amazon Prime uh, sometime next year. So that's going to be a fascinating watch as well. Uh, Any questions? Send them in all the usual ways as ever. The comments section on YouTube, you can tweet, Instagram or Facebook us. Just search Crash MotoGP. Make sure you leave a review as well wherever you get your podcasts and keep up to date on all the very latest on Crash.net. Uh, we shall see you right back here next time post-British Grand Prix. Until then, bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.